0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Well, hey, good morning, Janesville. My name is Michael. I am the uh, the youth pastor for Central Christian Church Beloit campus, and I'm excited to have the opportunity uh, to be in your living rooms today and, and to be online with you guys. You know, over the the past couple years, I've realized that there's two different kinds of shoppers. Okay, the first kind of shopper is a shopper that's a missional shopper. This is that person that they're going to get in, get their stuff, and get out. They probably have uh, the store memorized, they know where stuff is, and they know the most efficient way that they can get from point A to point B and get out of the store, right? I'm sure that some of you guys probably relate to that person. The, the, the second kind of shopper is the, more of the, the person that shops for the experience of shopping, right? They, they want to go there and they, they want to spend time looking at all these different things and they, they want to basically it becomes this outing for them. You know, I, I would identify more uh, with the first shopper. Uh, For me, I actually, you can call me a nerd all you want, uh, but I'm I'm the person that organizes my list by aisle, and I know that I'm going to start on this aisle, and I'm going to work to this aisle, and this aisle, and this aisle. Basically, before I even step foot in the store, I know exactly what I'm getting, and I know exactly the route I'm going to take to get that stuff. Uh, My wife, on the other hand, she tends to be more of that that second shopper, and there's nothing nothing wrong with it at all, but a lot of times, it leads to these really interesting uh, shopping trips for us. Uh, this past Friday was, was one of those times. You know, my, my wife approached me, it's Friday, it's my day off, and she approaches me and says, hey, I, I've got some stuff I need to pick up in Janesville. And I'm like, oh, absolutely, no worries. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, it's 10 o'clock now, we're a half an hour away from Janesville, so if we go there a half an hour, shop for a half an hour and come back, that's like an hour and a half. So uh, we should be back here at home by like 11.30 noon at the latest, right? And so we get in the car where we, we head over to Janesville and, and go to the store that my wife needed to go to. And I, I'm sitting on the car with the boys and, and keeping them occupied. And My wife comes back and I'm like, yes, finally, we can go home uh, and we can enjoy the rest of our day. But then she's like, you know, Michael, I think I, I, I'm, I'm kind of hungry and I think the, the boys are also probably pretty hungry. Maybe we should go stop by the Havana coffee shop and, and get something to eat. And this like throws me for a loop because I'm like, no, that's not part of the plan. This, this isn't part of that. And we we didn't say that we were gonna, oh, okay, well, that's not part of the plan. That's, that's outside of what we were thinking, right? And so we go over to Havana and we end up ordering. And I end up just being a total grump the entire time, right? I, I, I'm just a really grumpy person. I'm on my phone. I'm not being present. You see, my, my wife and I, we had two very different expectations of what was going to happen during that shopping trip. I was expecting that we were going to get in, get the stuff, get out, and we were going to go home and it was going to be over, right? My wife saw it as an opportunity for us as a family to go out, to have an experience together, to go out and eat somewhere, and to spend time together. You see, those two very different expectations led to a little bit of friction and actually some conflict and me, quite frankly, not being the greatest husband and the greatest dad that I could be in that moment. And that all spurred out of the fact that we had different expectations. You see, expectations matter. They do. You know, and and that's clear in every single area of your life. Your expectations matter. And what's expected of you matters. And, And this is true even of your relationship with Jesus. If you don't have the expectations, if you don't know your expectations, your relationship with him is going to go sideways at some point in time. Right? It's, it's kind of like that Apple contract that you scroll to the bottom of and you accept without reading any of it, and then uh, when your phone breaks, they don't fix it for you. It's that kind of contract where a lot of times we start to follow Jesus, and we don't read the fine print. We don't know what the expectations are of us as Christians, and, and then because of that, that disconnect, our, our relationship with Jesus fails. We end up walking away from our faith. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you guys these unlimited expectations that God has for us as a church, as Christians, and really answer this question of how should I live? And so I've got three things that it comes back to in the Bible, these, these things that are expected of us. The first thing that's expected of, of us is that we imitate the heart of Jesus. You know, uh, f- four weeks ago, my, my second son, Levi Reed, was born, and so now I have Levi Reed and I've got Liam James. I know I set myself up to to have a really fun time when I have to yell at them someday. Uh, But I've got Levi Reed and I've got Liam James, and Liam is is 22 months old. Uh, So he is, uh, for those of you not good at math, he's basically two years old, okay? Um, But it's been really fun lately because he started to imitate me. And this is really fun, but at the same time, it's really scary, right? So the other day we were eating Oreos, and the way that I eat Oreos is I dip them in milk, right? And so we're sitting there eating Oreos together and he starts to come over and starts to dip in the milk and eat it himself as well. He's imitating what I'm doing, which is really cute. But because he's imitating me, I'm also seeing areas of my character and and things that I do that I'm like, oh yeah, that that hurts a little bit, right? So for example, a a while back, I was yelling at our dog because he he tracked mud into the house. And and so I'm yelling at him and I turn around to to leave the room after he's put into his kennel and there's Liam standing there like this right? And I'm like, oh man, I, I'm failing as a dad. I'm horrible at this, right? You, you see, the more that Liam gets to know me and know my character, he begins to start to imitate me. And that's a good thing, but that's also a bad thing. This is the same thing that happens in a lot of different areas of your life, right? The, the, the reason I, I know how to be a dad is from my dad. I'm imitating the way that he was a dad. And, and this is true of your relationship with Jesus, The more you get to know Him, the more your heart becomes like Him. And that's the first expectation of us as Christians. Uh, Micah 6.8 is a verse that I absolutely love. I'd probably say it's one of my life verses. Uh, But the writer Micah actually lays out for us one of these expectations. It says this, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, as, as Paul would put it, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, our ultimate goal is that we look like Jesus. That's our ultimate goal. That's the first expectation of us in in, in life. And and that means that we're we're spending time in the Word that we're doing what we're doing right now, going to church, we're praying. You know, all these things that are leading us a little bit closer to the heart of Jesus and and knowing who He is. You see, this is really important because if we don't get this right, if our attitudes, our life don't start to look like Jesus, the rest of the stuff I'm going to say today isn't going to apply because you're not going to have the heart to be able to receive it. And so the first expectation that we need to, to have for ourselves is that we imitate Jesus, that our lives begin to look a little bit more like Him. Uh, we are now in probably the, the best month of the year. You're, you're free to try to tra- change my mind, uh, but we're in the best month of the year by far. Um, you know, you've, you've got my birthday, you've got hunting, you've got Thanksgiving, right? which is the greatest holiday of all time. Uh, but one of my favorite things about Thanksgiving is the food, right? And, and the best food on Thanksgiving is the mashed potatoes, right? Outside the turkey, the mashed potatoes really are the star of the show, at least in my book. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were, we were getting ready to sit down as a family. We say grace and um, my aunt had made the mashed potatoes that year. And we we start to eat, and I've got this pile of mashed potatoes on my plate. I'm ready to dive into the best part of Thanksgiving, right? And I look down, and I I start to see these black flecks in my mashed potatoes. I'm like, what the heck is that? And we start to to ask my aunt, like my aunt who made them, like, what's in here? Like, is this some sort of like spice or pepper or something? Like, what is this? And and she's like, I don't know. I didn't put anything in there. Well, long story short, when my aunt had made the, the potatoes in this pan, she'd beat it with a metal mixer, and because she did, the, the sides, the Teflon of the pan had, had flaked off and become part of the mashed potatoes. And so I got really frustrated because this is the best part of Thanksgiving, and I'm, I'm kind of angry and I'm complaining about it, I'm like, oh, come on. This is the best part of Thanksgiving, and now it's absolutely ruined. But the reality is that I really didn't have a place to complain because I didn't make anything for Thanksgiving. I wasn't part of the process of making any of the dinner. There's nothing on that table that I can point to and say, hey, check this out. I did that. You know, I did my part, right? The reality is that I was just complaining. And we see this all the time in the church. The same exact thought where we, we look at problems in the world, uh, whether that be abortion, whether that be um, human trafficking, racism, whatever the case may be. And we look at these problems and we we say, man, that's bad. I'm going to post about it, right? Or or man, this this is just horrible. I might have to pray about that. When in reality, it's, it's almost as if we're just complaining, right? We're not actually actively being part of the solution, part of the change. And that's where we hit our second expectation. The second expectation that we see in James 1.27 is that we are called to be part of the change that we're supposed to get off the sidelines and get in the game. Check this out, this is James one twenty seven. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We have a high expectation in our life that we are going to actually be part of the change. And that's something that we take that's near near to our hearts here at Central is that we would be Christians that go from just praying about things to, to Christians who are willing to fix things, who are willing to be part of the change. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know what happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, but you, you probably do. We just went through an election, um, and I don't know about you guys, but I am sick of seeing all the ads. I'm sick of seeing all the signs everywhere. Um, I'm sick of everybody hating each other for their politics. And I've been listening to, I've got friends that are Christians on both sides of the aisle, and I've been listening to their response after this election, and, and I've heard things like, man, you know what, I, I'm really mad about this because abortion's not going to be addressed, or human trafficking won't get the spotlight that it is, or people who are dis- disenfranchised, and, and you can go on and on and, and, and take the hard issues of our culture and say, man, they're not going to get addressed because of this person or that person. But I want to tell you something today, and it's this. We shouldn't need the government to provide for the hurting and broken in our communities. We don't need the government to do that. We don't need the government to be hope for that woman who feels like she has nowhere to go and no other options other than abortion. We we don't need the government uh, to be the voice of voiceless people that are trapped in human trafficking. To be a resource for broken people living in the state line. Whether your person lost or won, your expectation remains the same. That you be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. You see, the most powerful force in our country isn't the government. It's the church that is empowered by Christ to do his work, to be his hands and his feet. You know, that's why I appreciate so much of what this campus has done. You know, your guys' work with the foster care system or, or your, your work down in the fourth ward is, it's it's noble and it's incredible to see you guys be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, I look at, at families like the Kingsley's that are, are going out and, and they are being part of this change. And I, I stop and I think, what if our entire church, not just central, but the church capital C, started to become the hands and feet? That if we, instead of just complaining about all the things that are wrong with our world, decided that we were going to be part of the the difference, what would happen? You know, there's an old stat out there that says that if one person from every church were to adopt a, a child in foster care, that our foster care system wouldn't exist. It would disappear overnight. And I believe that that is true of a lot of different things. I believe that if everyone in our churches would stand up and be a voice for, for voiceless people, whether that be victims of oppression, whether that be uh, babies that are, are being killed in abortions, whether that be uh, victims of human trafficking, if we were to stand up as a church and, and actually be part of the change when it comes to these things, the power that we'd have to change would be incredible. We could make human trafficking disappear off the earth. We could if we were willing to band together under God's power and, choose, and, and seize these opportunities to see an unlimited change in the state-line area and even around the world, we are called as Christians to be a part of the change. The final expectation is that we show people the good news that is the gospel. I don't know if, if you guys remember when you were, were teenagers and your parents left you at home. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy long ago for me, and so I can remember some of the things that they would say right before they left. Um, you know, there were things like, Michael, love your brothers, or don't burn down the house, um, or my personal favorite, Michael, don't be an idiot. Right? Um, I'm just kidding, my parents didn't say that in case they watched this video. I love you guys, right? Uh, but there are there these different things that they would say, and, and the reason that they would say those things is because those last things were the stuff that they wanted us to remember, right? Those were the last words because, I mean, let's be honest, when we were teenagers, we didn't listen very well, right? And so those last things were extremely important. Those were the things that, he, that they wanted us to remember. The cool thing is that Jesus actually did that right before he left the earth. He gave us this other expectation of us. And when we see it in, in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's, it's also known as the Great Commission, And it says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, we are called as Christians to show other people the good news of Jesus. Lately, I've been getting into this show uh, called The Mentalist. I don't know if you guys might remember it. It's it's an older show, but uh, my wife watched it as a kid, and we we started re-watching it. Um, And I I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you start watching a good show, you want to share it with people, right? And so I've been talking about The Mentalist to a lot of people, right? I've been telling as many people as I can. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I started to, to look over the scriptures and, and, and look over um, this expectation of us to tell other people about Jesus. And I realized something that's pretty sad about, this, about my life and about this, this past week. You know, I've told seven people this week about the mentalist. You know how many times I've told somebody about the good news of Jesus and the, the fact that he died for us? Zero. And that hurts a little bit. That stings. You see, as a Christian, my expectation is that I would share this good news. I would share the things that I was saved from with other people so they could see Jesus actively working and moving in my life. You know, there's a, a famous quote from an atheist, and I won't give you the whole quote, but I'll summarize it for you. Basically, what this atheist says is that if Christianity is true, if it's actually true, And us Christians hold the key to death and the key to life. If we have the key to everlasting life, then we must really hate people if we don't share that with people. You see, we're called as Christians to share the gospel with other people. And I I want you to know, first and foremost, that i'm not saying that if you you don't live up to these expectations that you're not going to make it or that you know god's not sitting in heaven and saying well you didn't end uh, human trafficking or you you know well you didn't end world hunger so i i guess you're out you see we serve a god that regardless of whether we accomplish any of this stuff or not he's going to love us and, and and he's going to to show us mercy and grace But you see, it's that same exact mercy and grace that he showed us through the cross that should empower us to do these things. You see, when we look at the justice of God and the fact that we all deserve death, but he gave us life, that should make us want to share that with other people. When we look at his compassion and his mercy for hurting broken people, just like us when we were broken and dead in our trespasses, in our sin, That should make us want to help other people that are hurting and broken and stuck in their sin and their trespass. You see, we're called the big things and the expectations are pretty great. You know, to, to end, end today, I want to end today with this story. And it's a story of, of of Jesus and a, a crippled man. Now this man was somebody who was born paralyzed. They never had function of their legs. And in that culture, in that time, that basically was a death sentence. You couldn't work. You couldn't be a member of society. Basically, at that point in time, you were dead to society. And, and, and this man, he has some, had some friends. And these friends heard that Jesus was in, in the next town over. And they heard that this Jesus guy, he had the ability to heal people. He had the ability to, to change people's lives. And so these friends are like, we need to take you to Jesus so he can heal you. And so they take him to Jesus, but the room that Jesus is in is absolutely packed. There's no way they're getting in. And I'm pretty sure that these friends were a bunch of teenage guys because their next logical solution was, well, fine. If we can't get to Jesus through the door, we're going to rip off the roof. And so they actually go up on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof. And you can just picture, you can picture the scene as as Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden dust starts to fall in the crowd and and all of a sudden sunlight comes shining through. And this guy just gets lowered down into the room. Jesus, unfazed by all this, he approaches the man and asks him what he wants and he's like, well, I want to be healed. And so Jesus forgives him and heals him in that moment so he can walk away free of the things that he walked in with. And there's two things I want you to to catch from the story. The, The first is this. That man's friends would do anything to get their friend to know Jesus, to bring their friend to Jesus. They would do absolutely anything that it took because they loved him that much. And they knew the power of Jesus. So the first question I have for you is, are you being that kind of friend? The friend that's willing, regardless of the cost, regardless of of what it's going to take, regardless of how inconvenient it's going to be to you, that you're willing to show Jesus to your friends. The second thing that I want you to catch from the story actually is in the response that Jesus gives to this man. This is what Jesus says in Mark 2, 11 and 12. I tell you, get up, Take your mat and go home. And so he got up and took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. You see, Jesus, he first forgives the sins and then he tells him to grab his mat and go home. Right? He he tells him to pick up that mat and go home. And, you know, the, the scriptures don't say this, but if I know the heart of Jesus, I think there was a reason that Jesus said, hey, bring your mat with you. And it wasn't so that this man could take his mat home, throw it in the closet, and keep on living life the way that he wanted to live it. No, you see, I believe that Jesus in this moment, his intention of having this man grab his mat and go home was that he could take that mat to the next hurting, broken person and bring them to Jesus. Bring them back to Jesus and say, you have to see the man that changed my life. You have to see the man that saved me from certain death. You see, we're all that man. We're all that person that walked in here with some sort of hurt, some sort of brokenness. You know, we were dead in our trespasses and our sin. But then Jesus, he, he came and he healed our brokenness. But if you're like me, you probably went home and you threw your mat in the closet. You said, all right, I'm healed now. I'm good. Time to go about living. You know, I think that us as Christians, we are called to pick up our mat and grab the next person. You see, the things that you have gone through have power. The the things that Jesus has saved you from, those are the exact things that he wants to use to usher change into the world, to to bring people that are broken and hurting and dead in their trespass and dead in their sin to him and and, and to to who he is. You see, the, the unlimited high expectation of God is that we as a church would operate out of his power. That we would be people that are running people to safety. Running people to Jesus. That we would be the people that are taking our mats and dragging people to Jesus and saying, this is the man that changed everything for me. This is the man that saved my life and he can save your life too. So in closing, go grab that mat. Start to bring. Start to grow. Start to serve. Start to grow your heart a little bit closer to Jesus. And pick up your mat and make a difference. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.